I did think a lot about that. Like, do I want to be known for this? You know, for the people that knew me on this other path, are they going to see me as somebody who fell off the path, you know, and just sort of quote unquote didn't succeed? I never had any regrets about it. With the observational powers of a writer, it's no wonder that Asia Haroon Haq, Dartmouth 96, could not only see the opportunities that open themselves up to her in somewhat opaque fashion, but also see into the future of work long before the rest of us caught up. Find out how recognizing you can be something other than what you are today takes both looking forward and looking back on today's Roads Taken with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley. So today I'm here with Asia Haroon Haq, and we're going to talk about coming from one place and finding her place elsewhere. And I'm really going to start the way I start all of these, Asya, with the same question, which is when you were in college, who did you think you were and who did you think you would become as you were getting ready to leave? Oh, that's a wonderful question. So I think when I arrived at Dartmouth and really most of my way through, I saw myself first and foremost as a writer. So I was um, working at the Composition Center, helping students edit. I spent my afternoons in Sanborn Library having tea at four o'clock. I very much saw myself as sort of part of like that bastion of the liberal arts and aspired to be a novelist. I majored in government because I do have a strong interest in public affairs and public policy, but I minored in creative writing. Mm -hmm. And so the path at that point was very much the path of a writer. That wasn't necessarily aided by corporate recruiting or any kind of here's, here's your next ticket or your passport to get there. So what was the path that you took as you were getting ready kind of in our final year to Mm -hmm. take a step off? I think along the way, I had a couple of really interesting experiences at Dartmouth that were more along the lines of an independent study format. I had one with a professor where I had gotten really interested in physics and I set up, and I'm not a science person at all by background, a physicist or a mathematician, but I was interested and curious and I set up sort of my own independent study and I loved that format. And I had also taken advantage of a lot of the travel opportunities at Dartmouth. So I spent my junior year in London, actually at the LSE and then came back for senior year, but had completed most of my credits before senior spring, but I wanted to stay around and be there for graduation. And one of my dear friends was getting married right after graduation in Hanover. So there was no way I was going to leave and go back home to Pakistan (laughs) until I got to attend that. So I ended up spending my senior spring in Boston, renting a room from an old lady in Brookline and working at Beacon Hill Press because I thought, well, I, you know, I don't really understand publishing. Um, I'm curious about writing. Maybe this is something that I can explore. And so It was very much driven just by my own curiosity and maybe also by the fact that I wasn't on that traditional corporate recruiting track. I felt like going to a BCG or a McKinsey was always something I thought was really interesting. And I secretly thought maybe that's something I could do, but it wasn't the path that I thought I was taking right after school. And so I allowed myself to, I guess, explore some other and more unique pathways And I think that turned out to be a really good thing. And it helped me in the first few years out of school, because I think it gave me some confidence to be able to go carve my own path and, and, you know, sort of set my own agenda in terms of what I wanted to achieve in my career as a writer or as a thinker. Yeah. And did you find support in your family and other Mm -hmm. adults at the time for that? Like, oh, I'm going to see where this takes me kind of mindset rather than the, 
here I am, I've been a type A person to get me this far, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. So I think my family was very supportive. And part of the reason that I wanted to go down the path of writing is that my mother was a writer. And I think I always admired that she sort of did that honestly, more as a stay-at-home mom. And I didn't aspire to become a stay-at-home mom. So it wasn't that I wanted to imitate her life, but I felt I admired the fact that she was able to do that. So I think there was a little bit of almost wanting to do something that a parent had done. And that was a sort of a, almost like a tribute to her in a way that I admired some of what she has achieved as a woman at home in a pretty traditional society, which is Pakistan at that time. And, uh, you know, to sort of fast forward, I did end up back home with my family. And my first role was a writing role. So we can certainly talk about that. Yeah, I wanted to know about that. So how soon after graduation did you find yourself back in Pakistan? I actually moved almost straight away. We just traveled a little bit and then went home and started looking at job opportunities. And I was interested in the field of journalism, given that I was a writer by training, but with a government and policy sort of perspective. And I worked for a very interesting, very groundbreaking small publication that was more of like a time newsweek, but a monthly format. So in the world where we had physical publications, which obviously is not the world of today. And um, it was incredible because I was very young, but it was a very small team and it was primarily women that had launched Mm -hmm. this in a pretty traditional society. And we were writing stories that were getting reported at the national level. And I ended up, I spent there about four years there. I ended up getting to do some really incredible things as somebody who's very young. And I thought about that, that if I was in the same position and I had stayed in the US, Mm. it would have taken me many more years to gain access to some of those experiences, just given it's a bigger pond. And I was sort of in a smaller pond, you know, writing in English in a country where English isn't the primary language. Right. And had actually, looking back, had that been on your radar the whole time? Like I'm going to the US for Mm. undergraduate, and then I'm going to go back home. I thought about that. I mean, I I questioned it in the middle, but yes, I think in my mind, I was committed to returning and doing something at that time, what was going to be my home country context. I didn't end up staying in Pakistan for too many years longer. And that's more of a personal story. But yes, my goal was that I wanted to stay there. Got it. Because I I actually had thought that the coming back was you had been doing this kind of journalistic writing, and then you switched more to corporate. I thought that was what drew you back. But now I'm thinking it's something else. (laughs) Yes, it's actually the person I married, my husband of today, Fessel, and I actually met in high school. And then he'd sort of gone away. Um, He he grew up in the US. He was just back in Karachi for a few years. And we reconnected when I came back to the US for my sister's graduation from Yale two years later. And we sort of bumped into each other. And then the rest they say is history Mm -hmm. because, you know, I always said, I'll never move back to the US. I'm so settled. I love what I I'm doing. I had all these goals and aspirations. And then, you know, life just sometimes takes you in a different direction. And so a couple of years later, I, I was thinking, okay, I'm now going to be living in Chicago. Never really spent time there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't really know what I want to do with my life, but I'm fairly sure I don't want to be a journalist. I want to do something different, leveraging my writing. And that's really where the pivot came is when we as a couple moved to Chicago and I started looking at corporate life in a more serious way and trying to educate myself about what could I do with the skills I had. And my father is an entrepreneur, and I think I always was curious and interested in business. I just never saw myself as a business person. I said I admired more of that literary persona that was my mother. But ironically, I think I'm 
actually have turned out to be way more of a business person than I ever thought I would be. <laughs> yeah, so you're a good, a good mix of them, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so you did find yourself in corporate world, like big corporate, right? Like mm-hmm. Quaker Oats, Pepsi. That's, right. That's yeah. right. I spent nearly a decade at various divisions of PepsiCo. So I started out in corporate communications, which was sort of a natural progression, I think, for my writing background in Chicago at Quaker. And I spent a few years there, got very, very, very engaged with different parts of that corporate ecosystem and was there as we were basically determining that we were going to become a part of PepsiCo. So I was there for the merger and acquisition. I was there the night of the merger, writing the release, incredible experience as a, as you know, a fairly young corporate employee to be able to experience that firsthand. And I think that was very heady and very exciting. Loved the culture of PepsiCo, found it intense, but I found it really gave me some incredible growth opportunities. And I ended up spending a year of my tenure there on some special projects in New York City. Actually, Pepsi's in the suburbs of New York in Rye, but we were living in the city and my husband was doing some training for his medical field. He was in kind of his advanced training. So we ended up living in the city, which was incredible. We hadn't yet had kids. So it was sort of young and fun. And I loved my tenure there at PepsiCo. But then the company had agreed to sort of allow me to move into brand management, which is something I had not received an MBA, had never had business training, but I had kind of connected with a lot of senior executives in the business and had just expressed interest and pursued it and kind of built my own case for why should you allow me to do this given I don't have the traditional MBA background or the traditional career path in terms of a business undergrad. And I think it was an incredible experience. I absolutely loved the work that I did on the brand side. And I spent quite a few years working in that field, learning from really the ground up how to do brand management inside a consumer packaged goods environment, which if you know a little bit about that world, it's sort of considered the training ground Mm -hmm. for classic marketing management. As I feel like I kind of got an MBA on the job rather than getting it up front. But I came to it with with a lens of having understood kind of communications, media, even partnership and influencing through public policy, because that was a part of my traditional role. Um, I did a lot of daily corporate type communication work before I moved over onto the brand side. So I think I had an interesting lens that I could bring to that role. And I ended up doing both base brand management and innovation, both of which were, I think, great fields. And and they sort of led to my what next. So now that I'm thinking about it, I've kind of had a lot of pivots because (laughs) things get more interesting as you move along. At one point thought I would just be at PepsiCo for life. I mean, honestly, I kind of considered myself as sort of a why not? I'd be Mm -hmm. a lifer. And then we just had a sort of an interesting personal moment that took me off the corporate path. And it's it's one of those that I always look back on and think it was very difficult, but it actually opened some other doors that I don't think would have ever opened otherwise. Um, So what happened was that we were on a flight back from the West Coast to Chicago with our little girl, who was then just about a year old, and she had a seizure on the flight. And the flight, I mean, we it was one of those awful moments where we landed in the middle of like the plane had to land and an ambulance had to arrive. We didn't know what had happened to her. It was it was a terrible, terrible experience, one that I would never wish on anyone. Oh. And she was completely fine. It, she was okay, but it took me off corporate for a while. I yeah. just had to stop and say, you know, what is what is the meaning of life? You know, what does it mean to be a parent? 
can I do this and also do the job I'm doing? And the company was actually very flexible and they did a great job giving me that space to go figure out what I needed to do. And as I said, you know, thankfully everything was all right with her, but we, we made a decision that we as a couple really needed to be closer to family. Mm -hmm. And we had family that was sort of relocating to Texas. My husband's parents, a couple of his siblings were just ironically kind of all their jobs and their lives had taken them there. And my husband had received a previous job offer in Dallas that he had turned down because of my career, really great job offer. And it sort of popped back up. So it was one of those moments where it's like, okay, it's meant to be like, I think we need to make the move. And I had always aspired along the way, I think, to be an entrepreneur. I just never thought that life would give me that chance. And and I think this this set of circumstances is what really led me down the path of launching my first startup, which was what I did after we moved to Texas. And that was a very, it was a very difficult time, but it was also a very exciting time once we sort of, and we still live here. So we, you know, we love life in North Texas. We moved to Plano. We now live in Dallas, but pretty much we've been in the area since. Right. So, wow, what a shocking wake up call, right? To see what your values really are about and how you can withstand that kind of trauma. But how also wonderful that your employer was there for you. And you said, you know, it was meant to be with this job kind of popping back up. But I think, yes. And what I keep hearing in other people's stories is you have to be open to hearing that or even being aware. So it sounds like, yeah, you, you were all collectively open to these new things. And as you said, you have this moment now that has been created for you to take this dream that was kind of stuck in the back of your head and making it a reality. So can you talk to us about your first entrepreneurial venture? Absolutely. It actually came out of some work I was doing at PepsiCo prior to leaving. We were looking at mid-career exit of talent and also retirement. And we're looking essentially at what does it mean? Is there a way to retain talented individuals as they have changes that are really driven sometimes not by the corporation, but by things that are going on in their own lives. And I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And the conclusion I had reached at the time in which I you know, sort of shared back with my team is this is something that is bigger than one company or one company's strategy. It's sort of driven by demographic changes, you know, the, the size of the baby boomer population and how many are about at this, at that point, you know, this has been quite many years ago, we're about to retire the very skinny middle, which is all of us, Gen X, right? Like class of 96, squarely Gen X, really small, like 45 million versus 80 plus million boomers. At that point, really the millennials were not even on the horizon and there are bigger groups. So to me, it felt like the solution had to exist independent of a single employer. And there had to be a way to, to essentially capture the skills and talents of alumni as they exit organizations and retain a relationship and find ways to flexibly re-engage them, which is sort of the holy grail, right? Like, mm-hmm. especially if you're a mother at home or or your retiree that doesn't want to downscale from 100 to zero, and then you have something to offer. So I ended up deciding to just launch a business that did just that, and it was called Alumrise. And it was a software platform that essentially allowed companies to warehouse and create communities of former employees around skills and talents and interest and engagement. 
and to be able to flexibly engage that talent as they needed for projects. And so I raised venture capital for it. I raised an angel round, traveled, did a lot of evangelism. There was a private beta with about 10 of the Fortune 100. Incredible experience. So, so just I'm just going to remind everyone, you do not have an MBA. So no. <laughs> you're learning how yeah. to get funding and mm-hmm. launch betas all. Yeah, it was very much self-taught and, and just wow. absorbing information. Great mentors, you know, people that you know along the way that give you that advice. And there were some really incredible mentors I had both at PepsiCo and outside, you know, people within the venture capital world, or I'd say the world of female founders, which is sort of a thing, right? That's a great little community that's out there. So I definitely was just so enamored of wanting to build that next Facebook or that next, you know, I I had that kind of vision and it was a lot of fun to do it. It was a very successful journey, but it was also a very difficult business journey because essentially it was a successful endeavor. But as we came out of our beta with our first set of clients and our first set of essentially like Fortune 100 contracts is when the global recession hit, if you recall. And so I actually had to turn around and tell my team and our investors and even our clients that we had a viable proposition and a viable product, but we weren't going to be able to sustain through like a three-year downturn, which is essentially what was being projected for the human resources field. So people were letting go of about a quarter of their workforces at that time. So something like what Alumni's was offering, while in a sense it was timely, it was too early, too soon just so far ahead of the curve for where even the world was at that time. You know, this is pre-Upwork, you know, like LinkedIn was nascent. I mean, it was just very early. So it was difficult, but it was just a good decision, you know. So I actually returned part of the investor money, which was, I felt like it was my responsibility to do so because we hadn't utilized 100% of it. And I sort of thought, hmm, now what next, right? So I just sort of, I took a few months and, and actually that has led me to my next story. That's great. And all of this, though, while you're a young mother. Yes. Along the way, I had my second child right at the end of that phase for alumni. Our son was born. So yes, it was intense. It was definitely working around the clock and traveling and babysitters and everyone sort of playing their part, you know, parents helping out, like all the yeah. stuff you would expect. But you know. moving to Texas really helped facilitate that because you had the fam- the greater family around, all mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. Okay. And so then you were kind of thinking, but thinking quickly because your next pivot or your next startup is what? Tell us the oh, next. So one. actually there was a phase in the middle where I went back into a traditional role. And that has been a very significant part of the journey for me, which is that I had built a relationship with a fairly successful privately held company in the space, which is actually the company I work for today. So the story gets interesting. They were considering acquiring the assets of the startup, but there was the tech didn't quite match Mm. the technology that they had. But the CEO and the founder of that company and I just continued to talk. And he said, well, you know, you've learned a lot about this pretty unique field that no one other than a few of us really know about, which is how to employ people that are not full-time employees. And he sort of had said, our business believes that that is the future. And we've been in this field for a long time. And they're, again, very successful, privately held growth company. And so I actually went on and did a project with them. And at the end of the project, I became their chief marketing officer. And I spent about four years there helping them build their business to a larger scale and kind of helping them to really use marketing to become more broadly known within the future of workspace, which is really the space I was working in and the space that they were in. It's just 
it was an emerging space at the time. It didn't even have like the value that the hashtag has today, which is now obviously very hot, but we were Mm -hmm. having that conversation like 10 years ago. And I helped to do something which I think is, I'm really, it's one one of my proudest career moments, which is there has never been a study or there never had been a study of the independent or self-employed workforce in the U.S. prior to the study that I helped to launch at MBO, which is called the State of Independence in America, which is this year going to be in its 10th year of running. And it really showed, I mean, this is now 10 years ago, the data showed that one in two workers is going to be independent of a single employer. The future is sort of self-employed as much as it is employed in traditional roles. And so I got to do a lot of advocacy, like all the way to going and presenting at the White house and sharing the story of how do you plan for a future where employer-employee relationships are going to look really different? And how do you structure an economy where you have to plan for that? So that was a a very interesting few years. And it really built from my startup experience and my PepsiCo experience because it allowed me to leverage both. And I did stay there for many years, loved it, grew it, had a very successful tenure. But I kind of was getting to the point where I'm about to turn 40, you know, I have these two growing children, I don't know how many more years they're in the home with me. And I'd like to take some time to be with them, even if it means that I'm putting somewhat of a successful corporate career on hold. I Mm -hmm. think I can do that. And that is really what led me to the second startup, which you mentioned, which is Guider. And uh, that has been a lot of fun and it, it, I continue to own it. Uh, but it's it was essentially a business about content marketing with bloggers and influencers in the travel space and creating a way for them to deliver their content mobile first. And uh, something that allowed me to travel both personally and with my family. So it was a little bit more of a lifestyle business than I would say my first one was, but it was still the same thing, building technology, creating a platform, finding partners. Um, I decided not to take investment for it because I felt that I wanted to have it in my own control. It wasn't designed to sort of be that huge scalable business that I wanted to do with my first startup, but it was designed to be a successful product, you know, that would fill like a need in the market for digital content. Yeah, which I feel like there were so many lessons that you learned in Mm -hmm. your previous steps to inform how you built this one, right? So you you did do the funding thing, and now you knew some of the downsides of that. You had really taught yourself marketing from Mm -hmm. you know business one hundred and one, and could really implement the best strategy of that. You knew how Mm -hmm. to build things. You knew how to bring teams together, and yet now it's purpose driven so that it fits into your life. Right. That is a very good way of putting it. It was very much a purpose-driven business. And I think it's important as a as an individual to be comfortable with that. Sometimes we feel like that's a failure or that's like not putting us where we need to be at a certain age. And, you know, 40 is a very significant milestone in life. And so I did think a lot about that. Like, do I want to be known for this? You know, for the people that knew me on this other path, are they going to see me as somebody who fell off the path, you know, and just sort of quote unquote, didn't succeed. But I never had any regrets about it. I mean, it, it, it has just been, it was such a fabulous, like four years. I traveled the world, met so many interesting people, a lot of wonderful women, actually, because a lot of content creators are women that are designing their life mm-hmm. around having the ability to offer something that society wants, but in a way that's flexible. So I really enjoyed working with that content creator community. It was really powerful for me. And I made a lot of great friends, you know, so... Exactly. So 
now that you've built this new little baby of yours, mm -hmm. there still is a moment where you decide, okay, I can, I can keep that. I can own that. And yet I am going to explore mm -hmm. other parts of me and Absolutely. revisit some parts of me. How does that decision-making process occur? So I think that there's a part of one's life, and this depends on the person, where it's more valuable to drive things individually. And it can sometimes not be as effective if those um, pivot points or growth points are in an organization, because then you're dealing with the expectations of roles and responsibilities and the expectations of others. And that can hold you back. So I've often found that the points where you exit sort of what I think of as a more traditional role are, are sometimes a very significant growth points, but then you can achieve that growth or you can achieve what you desire to achieve. And then I started to miss some of, you know, just the peer group, the incredible challenges I've had in my corporate career, you know, being able to do things on a more global basis. Honestly, I missed having resources to execute ideas that weren't just personal resources. So having a team behind you or having an organization. And I feel that the role I've come back into is still very much mission driven for me because I very much believe in the mission of the business that I've returned to, which is MBO Partners, because they have been consistent in setting an agenda for a part of the workforce that I think is really underserved and is high talent, high skill, is a commodity that every organization wants to actually engage with. They just have a lot of structural issues with engaging today. And they've solved a lot of that with a, you know, with a technology platform and a business process, they have a fantastic customer base. So I admired what the team had done. And I ended up really just, I think one of the life lessons for me is that I always try to stay in touch with people that have been influential in my life. And I think maybe the reason I'm back here is I simply stayed in touch. You know, I kept in touch with the founder. He, he decided to bring in a new CEO who's a professional CEO who used to run most of PwC. And I had a lot of admiration for him him when I met him and I thought, you know, he will take this company really far. And so when I got to connect with them, it was sort of a no brainer when they made the offer, which I did not expect them to, but it was sort of a no brainer when they said, well, would you like to come back and do, you know, do this or that, do some interesting things. And, and I had not planned on that. It was not in our family's plans. And so we had to sit down and say, what do we, what do we do with this? Can we make this work? But sometimes it's what you said earlier. It's like when you see that door open or that window open, you have to see it and recognize it for what it is. And if you don't, sometimes if you don't take it and just try, you could have a lot of regret. I felt like I might have had regret. And so far, so good. I'm loving it. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. And I think, you know, along the way, while you were dabbling in other things or, or taking advantage of other things, kind of the recognition of this industry really has just taken off. And, mm -hmm. and worldwide, I think we would all recognize that the independent worker really is the way of the future. It is the way of today, even. Mm -hmm. um, so we finally, we've all caught up with you, which is good. <laughs> and then, and so of course, your skills and your knowledge and, and innate understanding of that is going mm -hmm. to serve um, this organization. So you're kind of back in, a, mm -hmm. in this organization that you know, but something new. Mm -hmm. How will you figure out how long you're going to stay and what the next thing is? How do you keep yourself open to those moments? Well, I think that the wonderful thing about if you're entrepreneurial in your mindset and, you, and you're part of a company that's growing 
is that there's enough opportunities for growth, even within the context of what you'd think of as a traditional role. And that's very much how this role has been and I think will be. It's sort of a growth marketing strategic sort of a role. So as they start to do more interesting and unique things, that'll hopefully be a journey that I'll be a part of. And I could see myself spending a very long time there. So we'll we'll see how it goes. You never know, yeah, right? Excellent. I've learned enough to say you never know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So um, you've already said a couple of lessons learned along the way. But if you had words of wisdom for the very young Asia as she was becoming an adult, have you reflected on kind of what you might have told her that could have gotten planted in the back of her brain to make some decisions clearer or paved paved a path for her? Yeah, I think that what I would have said or what I know what I would say to my daughter, who's, you know, about to turn 16. And so I think of it very actively because I can see there's somebody to to inform or develop or, or, or encourage it's, you know, always be willing to stand up and fight for something if it is grounded in data. Like, don't just have an opinion, you know, have a story that is an actual story with business reasons or data or an observation or an insight that really nobody can argue with. People don't argue with facts or knowledge or data. They argue with opinions. And especially as a woman, I think you have to be even better at that. You have to be very, very buttoned up in being able to represent the why, like, why do I want to do this? Or why should a company do this? And what are the data points? And I do credit my experience at PepsiCo for really helping with that, because I think that is something I learned there, that you could have an idea and you could present it to the CEO the next day, being a junior marketing assistant, if the idea merited it. And so it was all based on what is the idea? What is the data? And then who needs to make a decision based on this? So I think that is sort of what I think of is the most important career insight that I could have offered myself because I was very passionate and somewhat opinionated. And, and, you know, as a writer, it can be very much about your feelings or your emotions and things can just seem very obvious. It's like, it's so obvious that we should do this. Well, no, now I would tell myself it's, it doesn't really matter if it's obvious, if you're not able to convince somebody why. So that's maybe the biggest change. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you have taken both data and emotion mm-hmm. and been able to really see a lot of great options for you and taken advantage of them. So I just really appreciate your walking us through kind of where you've been thus far. And we look forward to kind of hearing where the next steps take you, but so glad to have gotten the chance to, to chat. Thank you so much, Lizzie. I appreciate it. That was Asia Huck entrepreneur, an expert in the future of work, and how to manage the independent workforce trend both inside an organization and as an independent worker. See some of that expertise from her day job at mbopartners.com. Find her latest startup, Guider, at guidrr.com. And find me, Leslie Jennings Rowley, at roadstakenshow.com and on the next episode of Roads Taken. <laughs>